Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 320 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always better when speaking with you. Uh, we're going to start here with the review part. We're going to start at York Hall. This one took place last Thursday, November 25th. Uh, York Hall, Bethnal Green, London, of course. Over here, one fight to mention. The main event, I believe it was, Harvey Horn, 9-0, a super flyweight, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if he's a contender or if he was world-ranked or anything like that, but certainly a prospect coming through. Knocked out in, in round four. A TKO loss there for Harvey Horn against a guy called Fadili uh, who or Majiha, who's now 28-14 and 14 with four draws. A big, big upset there. Um, yeah, shocking, to be honest with you. Moving out now to Poland. One fight to mention over here. A bit of a random one. Um, took place on Friday at the Radomsko in Poland. Over here, um, Damian Jonak, a fighter with a record of 41-1 and one with a draw, but it's, it's honestly probably the most padded record in professional boxing. He got in with Andrew Robinson, who's a tough kind of domestic level guy um, from the UK. 25-5 and five with a draw. Now, there's a bit of a backstory here. Um, Joe Knack was actually undefeated. He was 41-0 and 0 with a draw at one point, and he lost his O in his last fight to Andrew Robinson, which took place two and a half years ago. He hasn't boxed since. However, Andrew Robinson has boxed since. He picked up a win um, you know, against uh, you know, a, a, a low-level guy. Then he got in for the British title against Liam Williams. Liam Williams knocked him out in a round. I think that was before Williams um, got ready to fight Andrade. And then since then, he's come back with another win against a low-level guy. And then he jumps back in with Joe Nack. So he's had, what's that, one, two, three three fights in the meantime, whereas Joe Nack has had two and a half years of inactivity. So they got the rematch on, and it ended in a majority draw over eight rounds there. So Joe Nack now 41, um, 41, 1 and 2, and Andrew Robinson... Um, I think he's already got a couple of draws. Yeah, he's he's 25 and 5 with, with two draws. Uh, anyway, moving out now to the Ren TV studio in Moscow, Russia over here. Sergei Kuzmin with a win. A TKO in the 10th and final round against Igor Macedo, who I want to say was 10 and 0 with 10 KOs from Brazil. However, I didn't know his, his name was Igor. Must be, uh, you know, connected to Russia somehow, I'm guessing. But yeah, a win there for the home fighter, Kuzmin, now, now 16 and 2 after coming off two losses in a row, one to Michael Hunter, who we will be speaking to later on in the show, and the other to Martin Bacoli. Um, moving out now to the Moto Space Dubai Investment Park over here. This one was on ESPN Plus, by the way. We had on the 
uh, on the card. O'Hara Davies with a win, now 23-2. and two. A late replacement, actually. Nicholas Mwangi had to step in. He's now 10-4 and four with a draw. Quite um, surprised, really, to see that it went the distance. O'Hara Davies was supposed to be taking on Ishmael Barroso, but in stepped this guy late notice, and he's gone the distance, so credit to him. Rocky Fielding with a win, now 29-2. and two. His opponent retired after just two rounds. Emmanuel Danso, now 32-7. and seven. Badu Jack with a win at Cruiserweight, a knockout in the second round against Samuel Crost, who's now 11-2 and two with a draw. Badu Jack now 25-3 and three with three draws. Moving out now to the Bolton Whites Hotel in Lancashire over here. Uh, one fight really to mention. Jack Massey now 19 and 1. A TKO in round 3 against against Bilal Lagoon um, who's now 25 and 3 with two draws. That one was for the vacant IBO Cruiserweight World title. Lagoon four ounces over the limit um, at, the, at the first weigh and I think he did make the weight in the end. He was down twice in the third round. Quite impressive really for, for Jack Massey because I think Lagoon had gone... Um, he'd been in there with Tommy McCarthy. I can't remember if McCarthy knocked him out or went went to points with him. I can't remember now. But Jack Massey's a cruiserweight that doesn't really get the recognition of McCarthy or Billum Smith or Reactpor or uh, maybe even Isaac Chamberlain. All these all these cruiserweights we've got are, are much more popular, I guess, than Jack Massey. But honestly, he's one of the best, and we've got to remember, you know, he arguably beat um, Richard Reactpor. Uh, moving out now to the Val Sports Arena in Cardiff, Wales. Over here, huge upset once again. Jay Harris knocked out in round six against Hector Flores, 18-0 going in. Now 19-0 with four draws. Hector Flores, I think, from Mexico. Um, Jay Harris, obviously coming off a knockout defeat, gets straight back in with an undefeated fighter um, and gets knocked out again. So it's terrible for him. He was down twice in the sixth round, I think, uh, both from body shots. It was for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Light Flyweight title. I'm not sure what's going on with Harris. He boxed for a world title against probably one of the biggest punchers, pound for pound, really, in the sport, in, um, in Julio Cesar Martinez. And, you know, he can really, really, really punch. And he went the distance with him, Jay Harris, whereas other people, especially from Britain, didn't go the distance with him, like um, like Andrew Selby, like Charlie Edwards when it ended in a no contest. You know, this guy is a wrecking ball, and Jay Harris took all of his shots and performed really, really well. And it made us all think he's going to be a future world champion for sure. However, it seems like maybe something has been taken out of him now because he doesn't seem like the same fighter. And, yeah, he's now suffering two knockout defeats feats in a row. I think he was thinking about maybe even walking away, but I believe he has decided to carry on. Best of luck to him. He's a friend of the show. Um, Akeem Ernest Brown as well on the undercard, now 15-1, and one, a unanimous decision over 10 against Daniel Comby, who's now 9-5. and five. Ennis was cut, though, in round 5 over his right eye. That one was for the vacant WBC International Super Lightweight title. Um, wouldn't mind seeing the Akeem Ennis Brown and Sammy Maxwell rematch, to be honest with you. Moving out now to the AMA basketball court in Accra, Ghana. This one took place on a basketball court. Our very own Prince Patel, now 25-1 and with two draws. His opponent retired after just nine rounds. His opponent, Good Luck Marima, who's now 26-7, um, and seven, didn't have much luck, it's, it, it would turn out. Um, I think it was a woman referee in that as well. Uh, that one was for the vacant IBF Intercontinental Super Flyweight title and the WBO Global Super Flyweight title. Moving out now to Poland once again. Another strange result over here. Camille Zerometa. You might remember him. He, he gave quite a decent, um, you know, a decent uh, 
showing to Gennady Golovkin when he fought Gennady Golovkin. He went down a few times, got back up. He got in there with a guy called Nizar Trimech, who was only 9-2. and two. It ended in a shock draw over here. So Zerometa now, 21-2 and two with a draw. Um, it's not a good look, really, drawing with a guy who was only 9-2. and two. Not sure what's going on over there. Moving out now to the Holt Suite in Villa Park, Birmingham, West Midlands. Over here, friend of the show, Sam Gilly, now 13-1. and one. A KO in round four there against Evaldas Kosakas, who's now 10-8 and eight with three draws. That one was for the vacant English super welterweight title. A body shot uh, with the stoppage there for Sam Gilly. Really pleased for him. Moving out now to the Park Theatre in Las Vegas, Nevada. This one was on Showtime. Um... Let's talk about the undercard. Uh, Gary Antonio Russell with a win. I've got to be honest, I didn't see the fight, but I know he won a majority decision over 10 against Alexandro Santiago. Um, Gary Russell Jr., uh, sorry, Gary Antonio Russell, now 19-0. Uh, Santiago now 24-3 and with five draws. Um... Yeah, all the best to Gary Antonio Russell, friend of the show. Raiz Alim, now 19-0, and a majority decision win over 10 rounds against Eduardo Baez, now 20-2 and with two draws. That one for the vacant WBO, NABO, Super Bantamweight title. Again, didn't see that. Um, and the main event, let's just jump to it here. Brandon Figueroa, now 22-1 and with a draw. A majority decision loss over 12 to Stephen Fulton, now 20-0, now the unified WBC and WBO Super Bantamweight World Champion. Um, i I got to say it was a great fight, I'm going to get to it, but it's good to see that you know now we've got two champions, just two champions at Super Bantamweight, and those two champions hold two belts each, so someone needs to make that fight, and hopefully we see one champion with all four. It'll be nice to see an undisputed champion. Um, but yeah, getting onto the fight itself. Obviously, like I said, it was a absolutely magnificent fight. I'm gonna I'm gonna run for it. I'm sure you saw it as well, Eddie. So I'm gonna come to you uh, in a moment. But yeah, you know, I think round one, uh, I felt that I gave that round to to, to Fulton. I felt he was picking his shots well from from kind of mid range. He was tying up Figueroa on the inside. Russell Mora was straight on his case though. Um, I'm not always a fan of Russell Mora, but yeah, clever stuff in the first round from from Stephen Fulton. Brandon was struggling to get on the chest of Fulton straight away. Uh, round two, a close round. I felt that there were, um, you know, better shots more consistently from Fulton, but Figueroa did good when he trapped Fulton in the corner um, in, in, in some parts of that round, mainly with, with body shots as well. Good round. I, I just about edged it to Fulton, though. Round three, a good round. I think both men had their moments. Fulton was countering nicely off the ropes. Figueroa was beginning to show a taster of his famous relentlessness pressure there, uh, working the body on the inside, pushing Fulton backwards Fulton showing good defence though I gave that round to Figueroa round 4, um, another really close round I edged it to Fulton, Fulton definitely didn't enjoy that pressure of Figueroa Fulton was having to adapt to that to that Figueroa style um, I was wondering, can Fulton take this for every round, will he get worn down we know that Figueroa's not going to stop Round five, I gave to Figueroa. I felt he was really starting to land those beautiful hooks to the body of Fulton, right under the elbows, perfectly placed. Fulton was a little bit less active as well than he'd been in previous rounds. So, very interesting fight at that point for me after five rounds. I had it 3-2 to Fulton. Round six, I felt was an unbelievable round. Fulton looked hurt as well in that round. Figueroa landed an, um, 
I think he landed three uppercuts almost in a row, and Fulton's head movement was non-existent for about 15 seconds. He looked hurt. He looked hurt to me. I had it 3-3. Going into the second half of the fight, round seven, I edged it to Fulton. I felt he landed the cleaner punches. It was a really close round again, though, and I honestly didn't think that Fulton's punches seemed to have that same snap on them that they had earlier on in the fight. Um... There was a funny comment in between rounds by, I think it was Fulton's dad, and he said, this is about to be the eighth round. He's right, it was about to be the eighth round. And he said, you've got four rounds left. <laughs> Obviously, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve doesn't really uh, come to four. There's five in there. But I had it um, four, three after seven rounds, um, which was exactly the same as Steve Farhood in favor of uh, Stephen Fulton. Round eight, really close round, but I had Fulton winning it. Um, up until the last 20 seconds, he got caught in the corner and most definitely rocked. It was a right uppercut, um, followed by a left hook. Fulton wasn't throwing back and he was just tucking up, taking the punches. Fulton was, I think, kind of fortunate the bell, the bell went when it went. 4-4. Um, round 9, really close round. I literally couldn't split the pair. I actually gave that a 10-10, so it's still tied up on my card. Round 10, I gave to Figueroa once again. Um, he definitely hurt Fulton with some heavy head shots, mainly with the left hand. He was doubling up, tripling up sometimes. Um, round 11, I gave to Stephen Fulton. I felt he landed the much cleaner shots. He used the double jab. He used his feet. And again, it was all square on my card going into round 12, the final round. And round 12, like I say really really close round again I couldn't split them and I gave it a 10-10 I felt that um you know it was a tremendous fight as I said right there you heard me there was so many close rounds in there um Figueroa threw 104 punches in the 12th round alone which is crazy to think that you know, he still had that that engine to, to throw that many that many shots in the final round. And they said he threw over a thousand punches on his own during the fight. And I'm I'm not sure if this is a hundred percent true, but I'm sure that I saw somewhere it said that he outlanded Fulton by over three hundred punches. Those statistics are crazy. Um I remember talking about it on last week's show, Eddie. You said you hadn't seen much of him before. What did you think? I'd love to see that rematch, and I think the scorecards were way too wide. Eight to four, no way. Um, Honestly, you're going to be disappointed, but I forgot about the fight and what? turned it on late. No bullshit. And the thing is, I support the kid because he grew up around me. You know what I mean? I'm the fight, you know, the... And he's he's the young guy in the gym, and I just I and I was like I'm a watch and I'm a watch, and then I realized I look at the clock, I'm like oh shit, and it was it was on what um uh that wasn't on the zone was Showtime. it? It was on show exactly, and it's oh my god, and I, and I and I realized that I didn't see it, so I haven't even had a chance to see it, but I seen I was like I try to watch little small clips of it, but it never is gonna do the fight justice. You have to see it in its entirety. You know, I seen a lot of the banter back and forth between him and Figueroa after the fight was over, and Figueroa was upset, feeling like, oh, he got robbed, you know, of uh, the fight. And listening to your card made me feel like, and I, and I mean, I didn't know, I mean, I didn't hear it, and I know, you know, it's hard for like the judges. You can't see as a judge, you can't see copy box office. All you can see was what's going on in the ring. So with that being said. The punches, there's a lot of throwaway punches, there's a lot of punches. There's, there's, a, there's, you know, people throw a lot of, and Figueroa in general, from what I understand, I haven't really seen much of him, throw a lot, throws a lot of punches. So, not every single punch that he throws is meant to necessarily hurt, I don't think. 
<laughs> I haven't seen it, so I can't really say. But there's going to be other punches that are thrown, that are punches that are decoy punches, throwaway, throwaway punches to, to land bigger shots. So not every single time he throws a punch, it's going to be a quality uh, thrown punch as well as oh, you it can is. Th- Eddie, it is. <laughs> every punch he throws is a hard shot, man. <laughs> it is? Oh, maybe. I swear, maybe. He's, he's got such a crazy style. It's so entertaining watching him. I want to watch him. I got to see nah, him. you should. You should. But what I mean by that is not – so when you say it like this, when a punch lands, like I, I, I would say, to like the chest. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it can't affect you, but it's not necessarily in like a, a, a real like serious scoring blow that may – it may not have any effect. Same with like if you hit the shoulder. You know what I mean? Or, or, you know, you hit a little bit around the back. You know what I mean? Those can hurt, and that's why they're not necessarily legal. But some of, sometimes they're just places in awkward places. You know what I mean? And it doesn't necessarily mean anything to the fight. It's just, like I said, sometimes it's just volume. You understand what I'm saying? When you have a guy on the other side who's picking his shots better, landing them much cleaner, you know what I mean? Not grazing, not just, just making contact. It it does make a difference in the fight. And that's why if you watch sometimes certain scorecards are lean different ways, some judges, which I think is one of the craziest things to even think of in a fight is they try to count punches or try to see who they feel through more punches, not necessarily landed more, but through more punches to, to, to dictate whether or not they felt like that their aggressiveness was, was more quality. And, and what they did was, you know what I mean? Or what they were doing was better. And it's like, you can't watch a fight like that. And there are actually judges that do that. You know what I mean? I'm not going to name any names, but there is a judge, there are judges and one judge in particular that I know of that would do, they would do that. And it's like, you can't score fights that way. Think about what you just said. Figure out those, all those punches and it was aggressive, but you still scored it a draw. If you thought about just about activity, your scorecard would have been way different, and you would he wouldn't and, and Steve Fuller would have never got any credit, you know what I mean, for the work that he put in. You understand what I'm saying? And it's and it's just unfortunate. But I I think I'm I'm glad to hear that the fight was great. I wish I would have seen it. I'm going to see it, regardless of whether I know the outcome or not. I'm still going to go watch it, and. Um, I would agree with that, especially since I didn't see the damn first fight. I would definitely like to see them fight again. And if you said it's, you know, and if 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 the fight's what, you know, people are saying it is, I'm going to be pleased with this one too. So absolutely, I would uh, I would want to see them fight again. I, I would honestly, I would honestly want to see Steve Vogel go up bigger and better things too, not say that there's much better than a, a Brandon Figueroa in a division, but just to be able to unify, you know what I'm saying, and and and, and become the undisputed, which would be great. Uh, but um, this fight, from what I understand, was such a great fight that, and there was some controversy with it. Even though, like you said, the scorecards were were way too wide, I still you kind of feel like, well, let them run it back and see what will happen in a in the second fight. You know what I mean? See if see if Steve Fong can win in, win the second fight, similar to what he did in the first. In the judges' eyes, you know what I mean. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see. I wouldn't mind seeing the rematch, um, but yeah, if if it can't happen, uh, then you know 
I'd like to see the undisputed fight with Mura Jonak Madaliev, who was fighting uh, the you know seven days prior to this one. Um, but no, great, great fight. Like I said, many, many close rounds. Um, not a robbery. I think you could have given it to either guy by maybe one or two rounds, something like that. But to have it eight to four, I felt was a bit wrong, especially to, to Fulton, who, like we say, had thrown much less shots, had, had landed much less shots. I can see why F uh, Figueroa was, was frustrated. Um, but yeah, classy from um, Fulton as well in the post-fight interview when Brandon, the bit that you referred to, I think he handled that really well, Fulton, actually. He came across really cool. Um, so yeah, all the best to him. Uh, both guys, friends of the show. I, like I said, love to see a rematch. But Brandon Figueroa is still one of the best fighters in that division. Still arguably the best. I mean, I'd love to see him in with the winner of... Uh, sorry, the the, undis uh, the loser maybe of the undisputed fight. I mean, I would like to see him fight Akhmedaliev. If Akhmedaliev lost, I'd like to see him fight Fulton again if Fulton were to lose. Or maybe the winner. Uh, you know, he can be thrown in with anyone. I'd like to see him in with Daniel Roman. What a brilliant fight that would be. Um, anyway, that's it for that one. That is it for the Super Bantamweights. They were absolutely super. Uh, moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre, New York, USA. This one was on the zone. The final card to mention. Let's start with the undercard. A win for our very own Ramla Ali. Now 4-0. A unanimous decision over four two-minute rounds against Isela Vera, who's now 1-1. One um, Zili Zhang, the Big Bang, the six foot six Southpaw Chinese super heavyweight uh, silver medalist in the Olympics. He is now 23 and 0 with a draw, a TKO in round two against Craig Lewis, who'd never been stopped by the way. Uh, been in there with a few guys, including Carlos Takam, and he was stopped in just two rounds. He had absolutely no punch resistance, it seemed, but he was a former sparring partner of Zhang. He's now 14 and 5 with a draw, Lewis. Um, Still have to say, I think Zhang is there for the taking. I wouldn't mind seeing Eddie come back. I think Eddie could come back and knock Zhang out um, without a warm-up fight. He's there for the taking, that big boy. Um, Raymond Ford with a win. Now 10-0 with a draw. A TKO in round eight against Felix Caraballo. Um, Felix Caraballo now 13-4 and four with two draws. Like I say, TKO round eight for Ford. Now 10-0 with a draw. That one for the WBA Continental Featherweight title. Azinga Fazil as well, coming off that brilliant win against Martin J. Ward. He lost a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Kenichi Ogawa of Japan. Hopefully this time Ogawa uh, was all clean for, you know, for a world title fight. He is now eventually the IBF World Super Featherweight Champion. It's, it was obviously vacant. Um, Fazil down in round 5 and round 12. Ogawa, the new champion. And now the main event, of course, for the WBA Super, IBF and WBO lightweight world titles. Three of the four titles. Tiafimo Lopez now 16-1. A shock upset loss. A split decision over 12 to George Cambosos Jr. Now 20-0. Now the main man at lightweight. Just after that one evening, it seems. Lopez down in the first round. Cambosos down in the 10th round. Um, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Amazing fight. Both guys friends of the show. George Cambosos Jr., I said it, man. This guy's belief in himself is just incredible. Uh, the guy's done hundreds of rounds with Manny Pacquiao. Uh, you know, he was riding the crest of a wave, it seemed. And I've got to say, it is one of the biggest shocks of 2021. Uh, it's a huge, huge, huge upset and probably by far the best win, actually, of 2021. But getting on to the actual fight itself, um, round one, 
a crazy round. I mean, straight away, a crazy round. Tiafimo was controlling it for me. Uh, Tiafimo wasn't respecting Cambosos at all. He was trying to load up with every shot. Cambosos didn't seem phased, though. He kept composed. He landed some lovely shots himself. He, he picked some good, clever shots. Um, his, his head movement was really good, but Lopez, again, was controlling it for me. And then out of nowhere, an overhand right puts Lopez down. Lopez got you know, he got too reckless, but again, I take nothing away from Cambosos. It was a perfectly timed overhand right. But yeah, the second round I gave to Lopez. However, Cambosos still picked out uh, some some lovely right hands. He landed, um, I think, more right hands and Lopez landed more jabs. But still, Cambosos was completely in his zone. We all knew he came to win. Like I say, his self-belief was incredible. The commentary said, I believe, Lopez landed 31 and Cambosos landed 26. Uh, shots in that round and as I said Cambosos landed more right hands I felt so for me that round really could have gone either way so even though he landed a few less shots he did land right hands whereas Lopez was mainly jabbing round three of Cambosos round very close round could have gone either way uh, the pace dropped a little bit from both guys as well so that's 2-1 um, for Cambosos there round four an unbelievable round for Cambosos he was in full control Lopez was marked up by his right eye Cambosos was doubling up with the left hand a jab and a hook, both with the, the left hand. He was double jabbing. Uh, Lopez looked shocked, to be honest, in, in that fourth round. Cambosos couldn't uh, couldn't be more comfortable if he was lying on a beach, I felt, in that fourth round. Cambosos, again, got that round. Round five, I also gave to Cambosos. He was making the entire world eat their words. He was getting the better of Lopez. Lopez, I felt, was sometimes being too patient. He was getting caught with every shot in the book, including the exact same overhand right that Cambosos um, had put him down with in the first round, and I just I was speechless. Round six, Cambosos round again. Such excellent counter-punching skills were on display. Again, he was making everyone eat their words. Also, whenever Cambosos would miss, he wouldn't leave himself there to be hit. Um, he was so focused. Everything he did was really well thought out. Uh, round seven, the footwork of Cambosos, I really was impressed by as well. He was sensational. Lopez seemed to be out of ideas. He was following Cambosos around the ring, not cutting the ring off. He wasn't throwing shots. Cambosos was even taunting Lopez. I just I just couldn't believe what was happening right there. Um, again, this is why we love boxing. No one at all saw this coming apart from Cambosos. I think he I think he did think he could do this. Uh, but none of us did. Round round eight, another really close round. Could have gone either way. I honestly think Cambosos probably edged it. The advice in the corner between rounds from Tiafimo Lopez Sr. was awful. I wasn't sure what fight he was watching. He said that we're winning this fight and I think he was even talking about an after party as well I don't know what was going on the pair had a wild exchange at the end of the round as well in that eighth but no one really got caught with anything too serious um, I just couldn't believe as well that Cambosos was willing to trade with Lopez without any fear at all and coming off best as well in most of those exchanges. Round 9, a brilliant round again. Lopez, I think, maybe just about got that round. Both guys landed significant shots. Cambosos... Um, Hit, you know, he was hit more than he'd been hitting the entire fight in that round alone. But Tiafimo, um, I thought, he's not really known for his success late on in rounds. So I'm not sure it was a turning point, but I thought maybe it could just be a one-off good round in the fight. Round 10, though, down goes Cambosos. I mean, what drama we had. Um, it was an overhand right, right behind the ear. He got back up. His legs were all over the place. They were really stiff. Um, you know, he was struggling to, to stand up straight. He looked like he was going to get knocked out cold. And 
I just thought to myself, what a shame, man. We've seen it so many times. Guy fighting for a world title, huge underdog. He's been boxing magnificently. Then he gets caught with a shot. And, you know, he's in a fight, he's winning. And it's all forgotten about. All that nice work he did, all gone in a second. That one that one punch, goodbye. But no, he got through the round. I couldn't believe it. I liked how his corner at the end as well properly asked him, how are you? How are you? They seem to have his best interests at heart. Round 11, um, Lopez didn't sit down at the end of that uh, of that round, he looked spent, he was blooded up, Cambosos did incredible to come out and win that 11th round after being dropped in the 10th, once again I couldn't believe what was going on, he seemed fully recovered as well, the one minute between rounds sorted him out um, and then the final round, round 12 I gave to Cambosos as well, unbelievable uh, like I say, huge upset, another crazy outcome in boxing during the pandemic, he even had to uh, travel from Australia you know, and I think they said the fight itself there have been 8 dates for this for this fight, it had been rescheduled 7 times, I couldn't have been happier for George Cambosos certainly one of the best wins for an Australian fighter of all time, he is uh, you know, straight in the in the history books, and I tell you what, man, he was unbelievable. Um, in the post-fight interview, Lopez said he felt he won 10 of the 12 rounds. And I thought to myself, Eddie, and this is just me um, messing around, but thank God fighters aren't judges. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess at least fighters that didn't just fight in the fight that they're going to judge. <laughs> no doubt about it. Because, you know, like sometimes, and he was, you know, his, his belief in himself, man, I... To be honest, just from watching some of the build-up to it and what he was saying and what he was doing and how he was reacting to Cambosis. And I'm not saying that Cambosis was a complete angel in the whole thing, but at the end of the day, I felt like he just didn't respect the game enough in that. I felt like he didn't, you know, he didn't he didn't give enough respect just in general to Cambosis as a fighter. And I want to just interrupt Eddie and say that Tiafimo Lopez had told all of his fans to bet on the first round knockout. Exactly. You see what I mean? That's the kind of thing that you can't do as a fighter. I, I understand he had all the confidence. He's he's a great fighter. He has all of these good things going on. He beat one of the greatest fighters of our time at this point. And he, he's looked at as, you know, that guy. But you still got to respect the opponent in front of you. Floyd Mayweather and guys like that, Manny Pacquiao, but Floyd Mayweather in particular, I'm going to mention because he would act like he didn't care. He would act like he didn't respect him, but he trained his ass off to come in and, and to be as prepared as possible to when he, when he went into fight anybody, anybody who was on his schedule. And that's the difference. And Tiafimo has learned an, a huge, I hope, I hope he has, lesson in how to respect the sport. And how to respect the guys that are in front of you. He's there for a reason. He's the, he's there for a reason. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate I couldn't add. There's another one I really couldn't watch. So, you know, I, I can't really give too much. But it's just you have to respect your opponents. You know what I mean? No matter who they are. And like I said, they've gotten there for a reason, especially when we're talking about world title challengers. Yeah, but like I say, what a magnificent win for Cambosos. Tried to reach out to him to try and get him on the show. Uh, you know, my attempts have been unsuccessful, but he's just enjoying himself, man. What a what a you know brilliant 
brilliant thing f- to happen for him. I know he lost his grandfather. I think two months, you know, two months ago, which was while he was training. I think he's had a child born as well in in training camp. You know, the guy has has, has got a lot going on outside of the ring, and he's he was able to channel it all out, and um, or maybe even channel it in and use it as hunger because he did say after the fight he felt his grandfather was in the ring with him for the whole twelve rounds. Oh, it's beautiful. I love when things happen in boxing to good people, and he's a good person, and something unbelievable has happened to him on the weekend there. Couldn't be happier for him. Rebuilding, though, for Mr. Teofimo Lopez, and I tell you what, he needs to uh, you know, go back and watch that fight again, and I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. He needs to... Um I don't know, go back and work on what went wrong because it went wrong straight away and no one is sure what it was, but it certainly went very wrong. That is it, though, for the review part of the show. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the heavyweight ranked at number two with a WBA, number six with a WBO, number seven with a WBC, and at the very top by... The fans, it is of course the people's champ, Mr. Michael Hunter. Mike, welcome back on the show, my man. Likewise, thanks for having me, bro. <laughs> I like the introduction. Hey, that was just for you. So, Mike, we, we last spoke back in July. It was fight week for the fight against Mike Wilson. Obviously, you went on to stop him in four rounds, a brutal performance. Uh, you become the only man to stop him as well. Tell me just briefly, obviously, I know it's now a thing in the past, but tell me briefly uh, just about that fight and how you felt. I think it was on World Star at one point. Is it one of the best knockouts of the year? Uh, I, would, I would definitely put it in the hat and, and be a candidate. Um, you know, there's been a couple of other, um, you know, comparable um, knockouts. So, but it's definitely up there. It's going to be something to be talked about. But yeah, I felt good uh, going into that fight. Uh, you know, um, it being in New York and Madison Square and, you know, the whole versus uh, trailer situation. Uh, it was all a perfect, uh, perfect storm. And since that fight, things had gone a little quiet. You were linked with this fight against uh, Mark Demori. Uh, it turned out that the commission had rejected Demori as an opponent. Do you feel like that was a bad decision by the commission, or were they doing their job and, I guess, looking out for Demori's health? No, I think it was definitely a, a, a bad, uh, you know, decision to make. I really think um, that it, it didn't have really too much to do with the um commission that was just what was said and that was a little you know something other than that but uh you know obviously we can't speak on too many things and uh but luckily i got the fight and i'm good and uh, you know i'm alive man i'm ready to get in this ring and, and put somebody to slizzy <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember, you know, there's been some strange, uh, you know, decisions in the past from other commissions. I think the Nevada State Commission, I remember them, um, declining Mungia to fight Triple G. Um, anyways, moving on, your fight date obviously still stands. You're going to be boxing tomorrow night in New York. I'm speaking to you now. What's the local time over there? Almost midnight, I believe. Um, yeah, you, you know, you're going to be taking on Jerry Forrest, a replacement opponent and a former opponent of yourself. This is a man you know very well, Mike, from that fight you had seven and a half years ago. He took you the distance over eight rounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I definitely remember, um, I was just telling the other people, man, what I what I, what I I remember, though, the last time I fought him, you know, he was 6'4", 255 pounds, you know. Um, 
But this time he wasn't. He was only six one. <laughs> you know, every time you fight somebody, you know, it could be like you know, old lady or something hitting you with a purse, and you're like, it was fifteen of them. You know, they uh, they were jumping me. You know, so uh, when I went to the weigh-in today, I realized that I was looking at the top of his head, and he's not as big and as tall as uh, I thought he was. So um, you know, uh, it kind of lightened the load a little bit. Okay. Okay. And how motivated are you, Mike, for this fight? Because as I said, you've already beaten the guy. He's not really the guy you wanted to fight. Um, it's maybe even a step back from, uh, you know, the likes of Damori, perhaps. I don't know. Say that again? I said, how motivated are you for this fight? Obviously, it's a guy you've beaten before. And perhaps it's even a step backwards from where you were at, from Mark Damori, perhaps. I'm very, very motivated when it comes to this situation because of how it was played out. You know, I was originally supposed to fight Mark Demore, so um, I feel like this is me uh, kind of putting my foot down in a sense and kind of, uh, you know, uh, making the claim. I want to, I want to, I, I know I can't just win. You know, I have to win in good fashion, and um, I'm going to be doing that uh, tomorrow. But I, I really, I'm really motivated because of the. Of what they did to me, you know, I fought him before. Uh, I'm basically, uh, the guy I'm fighting, uh, the dude who's throwing the the show, uh, Lou DiBella. This is Lou DiBella's fighter, so I, I end up having to fight a Lou DiBella fighter on a Lou DiBella card. So it definitely gives me motivation. And I want to ask you this as well, Mike, coming down to the last couple of questions, really. Um, every time I, I interview anyone in the month of December, I always have to ask, what's on your Christmas wish list, Mike, in terms of, I guess, this time next year? Where do you want to be this time next year in a realistic world career-wise? Oh, man, I, I will definitely be thinking about a title or if not getting it, inching right up on it. Um you know, I know I'm close to it now, so uh, I think that you know me having a good one of these good fights, even if it's not a title, but having one of these good names on my record, uh, being put to the test and being able to showcase my abilities, um, you know, and to where really where I shine, you know. So whether it be a title or you know I have to fight one of these uh, good names and I, and I just show up and show out and uh, look outstanding. That's that's what I'm here to do next year. And Mike, what is the immediate plan after this? I'm guessing you're expecting uh, probably fully 100% confident on getting the win. Do you have a plan after? Do you do you know how soon after you want to get in the ring again? Well, you know, in a, in a perfect world, I would like to go, you know, as soon as possible. When we talked about January, um, I know that uh, I would like to stay busy and uh, just keep letting my face be seen keep showcasing my, my skills and, um, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And, of course, as I said, your WBA number two, is that your most likely way into a title shot with the WBA? Obviously, you've got the number one, Britain's Daniel Dubois, who did hold the interim world title but doesn't have it anymore, I don't think. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that this is one of the best secure ways for me to uh, secure my 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 world title fight and um and to open up a, a lot of a lot more doors for me uh, you know wba has been very um you know uh, very cool and uh, you know respectful from for what i've done and recognize the uh, things that i've done over the past and um 
it's an honor to be, you know, uh, ranked number two, uh, you know, but uh, I, I really need that one number one spot. So, absolutely. And just finally, Mike, if you got any closing words for the listeners before we let you go, my friend, like I say, I really appreciate you giving me this time. Uh, you know, this late on a, this late in the night before the fight. <laughs> no problem, man. You know, anything for you, Jay. And uh, you know, just nothing, man. Just follow me. Tune in to Triller, uh, Triller Night of Heavyweights tomorrow. It's going down. There we go. It is going down. Triller Fight TV as well. Uh, listen, Mike, I just want to say it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. Best of luck for tomorrow night, and we'll speak sometime after, of course. Hey, thank you, Jay. It's always a pleasure. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with the fact that Israel Madrimov will be taking on Michel Soro of France. That's going to be a final eliminator there for the WBA Super Welterweight uh, Super Welterweight title. That's going to be on Friday, December 17th, by the way, on the zone um, in Uzbekistan. So that's a big fight there for Madrimov, who's being fast-tracked as a professional. Uh, that's about it, though, for the news. So if anything else develops from now to the end of the show, I will mention it on the outro. Moving on now, though, to the preview part of the show. going to start here with a card that takes place later tonight. We spoke to the man a couple moments ago. The man, of course, being Michael Hunter, 20-1 and with a draw in a 10-rounder against Jerry Forrest, who's, who at the minute has a record of 26-4 and with a draw. Um, it's going to be on Fight TV, by the way, uh, at... The Hammerstein Ballroom in New York. And on the undercard as well, Cassius Cheney, 21-0, gets in with the undefeated 16-0, George Arias. That's over 10 rounds as well. And Trey Lippe, who's 18-0, I believe, with 18 KOs. He gets in with Mike Balogun, who is 17-0. So that's that's some big fights there. All heavyweights, three fights there involving four unbeaten fighters. Um, that's it, though, for New York. Moving out now to a card that takes place in Germany on Friday. Over here, Abbas Baral, 10-1 in a 10-rounder against Meriton Karasha, who is 29-5 with three draws. Uh, Christina Hammer as well returns to the ring, maybe for the first time since losing to Clarissa Shields. I don't think she's done anything since then. She's in an eight-round contest against Daniele uh, Bastieri, who's 3-1. Um, that's about it. Oh, no, no, no. The main event, Dennis Radovan, who's 14-0 with a draw. Um, he defends his IBF European middleweight title against Britain's very own and friend of the show, Brian the Lion Rose, 32 two and seven with a draw um moving out now to spain at the bilbao arena you've guessed it uh, it's going to be Kerman Leharaga, 33-2. and two. He gets in with another Englishman, Jack Flatley this time, 17-1 and one with a draw. It's for Leharaga's EBU European Super Welterweight title. It's going to be on the zone. Last time out, Leharaga was in a fight of the year contender. This one will probably be a great fight as well, Jack Flatley. Another guy that doesn't get the recognition on the domestic scene. This is a huge step up for him, though. He's obviously a clear underdog, understandably. Um, on the undercard... A lot of unders there. On the undercard, Campbell Hatton 4-0 in a six-rounder against Attila Serechil or something like that. He's 10-24. and 24. Um, All the best to young Campbell Hatton. Moving now to York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. This one's going to be good, I think. Um, over here we have 
former WBC flyweight world champion Charlie Edwards, 16 and 1, finally returning to the ring in an eight rounder against Jacob Barreto, who's 13 and 3. We've got Jordan Reynolds, 3 and 0, in a six rounder against Blaze Pakamukia, who's 2 3 and 1. That's over six. And the main event over 12 rounds, Isaac Lowe, 21 and 0, with three draws, still undefeated. So, so underappreciated, in my opinion. Friend of the show. He's in against Luis Alberto Lopez, who's 23 and 2, and he's a massive favourite, Lopez. He's expected to come over here and beat Isaac Lowe and take his O. Um, I, I hope he doesn't. I hope Isaac Lowe wins. It's a must win fight. Every fight for him is a must win fight. He doesn't really get the big fights. No one wants to fight the guy. Um, you know, and this is a huge chance for him as well. I think it's possibly an eliminator, but he's right up there, Isaac Lowe. You know, he he's overdue a big, big, big fight, and this is a must win if he wants to become a world champion like his cousin Tyson Fury. Um, what else do we have? Moving out now to Australia. This one takes place on Saturday. Um, we've got Fega Opelu, who's 14-2 and two with a draw. Never, ever heard of the guy. It's for the vacant WBA Oceana heavyweight title. He gets in with former WBA heavyweight world champion Lucas Big Daddy Brown, 29-3. and three. I think coming off that first round knockout loss in his last fight to that to that rugby player. Um, okay, moving now to Germany. We've got Firat Arslan, 51 years of age now, 49 and 9 with three draws. He gets in here against Alejandro Berrio, who's 39 and 9. Um, I think he is based in, I want to say the States somewhere, Alejandro Berrio. Um, but anyway, he's about 45. So both guys here, I think, have a combined age of 96. <laughs> uh, made the best man win. It's over 12 rounds. Fira Auslan still, in my opinion, the hardest 51-year-old there is. Um, on the undercard, there's a few names there. We've got um, Kasim Uma as well getting back out. God, how old is he now? Um, and Jakub Saglam as well. He's, he's on the card as well, fighting for the vacant Germany BDB cruiserweight title. God, Almighty. Moving out now, though, to the Copper Box Arena. This one is in London. Bit gutted to not be there. I applied for accreditation. They they rejected me, sadly. Uh, it's going to be on BT Sport. I'll certainly be watching from home. It's a great card, I think. Uh, let's run through the undercard. We've got a guy on the undercard called Sonny Liston Ali. I cannot believe it. He's got the best name I've ever seen. It's a four-rounder. He gets in with Lee Hallett, who's 1-35. Lee Hallett, that one win was against... Um Harvey, uh, sorry, Harley Ben, my apologies. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's the guy that he beat. Um, Charles Frankham on the card as well, been very, very inactive. He's 3-0 and in a six-rounder against 11-7 and Lee Glover. We've got Dennis McCann, 10-0, and in a little bit of a step up against Juan Jurado, who's 15-4-3. and We've got Sam Noakes, 7-0 and in a 10-rounder for the vacant WBC International Silver Lightweight title against 11-2 and Sean Cooper. We've got George Fox. The son of Don Charles, 4-0 in an 8-rounder against Camille Sokolowski. Such a tough journeyman. Never gets knocked out. 10-23 and 23 with two draws. I see an upset in that one, if I'm honest. That could be interesting, man. Oh, boy, oh, boy. It's a big step up for George Fox. Not like his dad doesn't know the game. That's a very big risk there. And if he wins that fight in good fashion, then... Whew, I mean, fair play, but no one really beats Sokolowski easily. No one manages to knock him out. Um, you know, gives ev 
everyone a tough fight. He dropped Lucas Brown. He he uh, went the distance in a in an exhibition fight with Huey Fury. You know he's been in there with Dillian White. He's been in there and arguably beat David Adelaide recently. He is no joke, man. I've seen him. I've seen him knock out Nick Webb. Um, yeah, he's a he's a bad guy. Um, anyway, George Fox gets in with him. All the best to him. Um, and another thing is that Camille Sokolowski has been sparring with Joseph Parker. I mean, wow. A journeyman heavyweight uh, sparring with a former heavyweight world champion in preparation for this. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy, that fight. Do not blink. Um, elsewhere on the card, Hamza Shiraz, 13-0, defending his WBO European Super Welterweight title in a 10-rounder against former British champion, former holder of this belt at 147, and the guy that was on last week's show, Mr. Bradley Skeet, 29-3, and and the main event, Lyndon Arthur, 19-0 in a 12-rounder against Anthony Yard, the rematch, 21-2 Anthony Yard for the WBO Intercontinental and Commonwealth Light Heavyweight titles. Firstly... Um, yeah, like I said, big risk for George Fox. Um, I really like the Hamza Shiraz-Bradley Skeet fight. Hamza Shiraz hasn't beaten anyone like Skeet. However, what does Skeet have left? To me, and anyone that I'm sure listened to it, he seemed bang up for the fight. Like, I couldn't believe it. He seemed like he had the fire under him again. And if he can fight like he did, you know, four years ago, then he can win this fight. But Hamza Shiraz, I think, going out there to the States, in California, you know, they, they seem to really like him out there. He seems like he's getting that good sparring in, seems like he's a future star. And, um, yeah, I mean, he he could be special. He could be one for the future. And if he is, then he needs to be getting past Bradley Skeet, who, let's be real, hasn't had a significant win in, in a quite a few years, to be honest. I think he'd admit that himself. Uh, it was very good to have him back on the show uh, last week. You know, I wish him all the best in this one here, but he needs to be right on it. And we're going to learn a lot about Hamza Shiraz in this fight here. As for Lyndon Arthur and Anthony Yard, I mean, Anthony Yard, good friend of the show, been on many times. Um, you know, I remember him inviting me down to watch him spar, like very accommodating, cool guy. I haven't spoke to him for a long time though. I think just before the Kovalev fight is probably the last time I spoke to him or last time he responded back to one of my messages, I should say. Um, you know, I don't know what's going on with him. We've had Lyndon Arthur on the show since then after he beat Anthony Yard and he did it with one arm, let's be honest with you. Um, but you know, Lyndon Arthur in his last fight didn't look that good. That's, that's the complete truth there. So I'm very excited for this. Again, it's going to be must-watch TV. Um, you, you, you'd have to say if Lyndon Arthur was able to beat him with one hand, he should be able to beat him with two hands. But boxing doesn't work like that. You can never really calculate what's going to happen. We saw that on the weekend with George Cambosos and Tiafimo Lopez. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It really is. Um, both men have to be super switched on. And if Anthony Yard is to lose again... He's in a tough position, man. He really is, you know. The the scene domestically, though, the light heavyweight is is so um, exciting. All the names and stuff like that. But Anthony Yard needs to win this one if he's to push back on to world level. I think they can get him a world title shot quite quick if he were to win. I think he wins it, then straight away he's he's going to be getting a big fight next, and Lyndon Arthur will kind of be kicked to the curb, unfortunately. But if he wins, then. Everyone needs to start taking him seriously as perhaps one of the best we've got in the country. Perhaps the best we've got in the country. He's one of the few guys that have a really big win over Anthony Yard, but hasn't had the world title shot. Callum Johnson's had the world title shot. So has, um, as, as Anthony Yard, so has Craig Richards. He's right there. 
He's beaten Anthony Yard. That's a sensational win, especially to do it with one, with one arm. If he beats him again this time and more decisively, give the man a world title shot, man. Give him a world title shot. He is a really, really good fighter, Lyndon Arthur. Um, made the best man win once again. I really cannot wait to see that fight. This is such a great weekend of boxing. Moving out now to the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada. Over here, few fights again on the on the, on the card. We've got Philip Hergovic, 13-0 in a 10-rounder against Emir Amatovic, who's 10-0. That one is for the IBF International Heavyweight title. We've got Jessica McCaskill defending her WBC, IBF, WBA, WBO, and IBO welterweight female world titles against Candy Wyatt, who's 10-3. and three. That's over 10 two-minute rounds there. All the best to Jessica McCaskill, friend of the show. We've got Mount We've got Montana Love in his first in his first fight with Matram after beating Ivan Baranchik last time out. He's sixteen and zero with a draw in a ten rounder against Carlos Diaz, who's twenty nine and one. Um, we've got the return to the ring for Austin Amo Williams, who's eight and zero. He's in an eight rounder against. Quatavius Cash, who's 14-2, and two. Uh, Mark Castro as well on the undercard, and the main event, let's just get to it, Devin Haney, 26-0 and 0 in a 12-rounder, defending his WBC lightweight world title against Joseph Jojo Diaz, 32-1 and 1 with a draw. Joseph Jojo Diaz, for me, has always been a guy who needs to be motivated for the fight. We've seen him come in on fight week too heavy, um, you know, and, and miss the weight. He has to really be motivated to win. And when he's completely up for it, he is a great fighter. He is a really, really, really good fighter. He beat Tevin Farmer. We were all surprised by his performance that night. And since then, he hasn't really had the motivation. You know, his fights since then haven't been good. He's missed the weight. He's, he's, he's had a draw, um, uh, you know, I think it was last time out or the time before that. He hasn't looked great. But I know for a fact this fight here is one that has got him hungry and hopefully got him training hard enough. For, for what he's going to need to overcome someone like Devin Haney. Um, it's a weird one for me, Eddie, because I think we've heard how great Devin Haney is. I've not been overly impressed of, of, of late with him being hurt as well, badly by Linares almost clinging on for dear life in the final round or whatever. But for a moment, I'm kind of thinking here that Joseph Jojo Diaz has the experience perhaps in this one here. Um is that fair to say? I don't know if that's if that's fair to say. I, I'm kind of thinking that Diaz could pull this off. Well, I mean, look, we we already talked about his his boxing. We've seen, you know, what happened uh, this past weekend with uh, Tiafimo and Cambosis. So there's it's not out of bounds. I mean, Jojo Diaz is a quality fighter. There's no doubt about it. He has the skill. He has he has the ability. He's tough enough. You know, he, he's obviously beaten a really really talented guy. And Tevin Farmer, so he has the ability to do it. It just depends upon what Haney shows up. Like, not saying that Haney hasn't showed up in fights, but I'm saying that the guy that got caught and buzzed at the end of the fight with uh, with Linares, he can possibly get that guy. But if he stays switched on the entire time and boxes like I know he can, absolutely he can outbox Jojo Diaz and to a to a decision. I'm thinking. I don't think I don't think he's gonna. Get him out of there, but then again, hey, never know. They've been crazier things have happened. But Jojo Diaz, without a doubt, has a shot at the end of the fight, without a doubt. But he has to come with the right motivation and the right game plan. Otherwise, it's going to be he'll be fighting a, a uphill battle on ice skates. <laughs> I will say I haven't seen um, the pair stood next to each other. I don't think, but. Um... That's something I want to look at, actually, because we've got to remember Joseph Jojo Diaz 
Um, I want to say he's moved up two weight classes recently. I'm sure he was at featherweight, then he moved up to to super feather, then he's now at lightweight. And you've got to remember, Devin Haney's probably one of the very biggest lightweights there is in the world. He's huge for lightweight, mm-hmm. Devin Haney. So the size could come into it. But I'd like to see the pair stood together. I'm, I'm, I probably should have seen a picture of them stood together by now. I'm sure there's been plenty of the pictures going around ever since the fight got made. But I don't always pay attention to everything. So unfortunately, I can't speak on that. But yeah, the size could come into it. But if it doesn't, you know, I think it's a very good fight, actually. And it's one I could see um, Jojo Diaz perhaps pulling off. We shall see. And the final card to mention, it takes place at the Staples Center in LA, California, USA, over here on Showtime Pay-Per-View. Uh, let's start with the undercard. We've got Eduardo Ramirez, 25-2 and two with three draws in a 10-rounder against Miguel Mariaga, 30-4. A great fight here, by the way, between Sergei Derevianchenko, 13-3. We know that the losses came to Golovkin, Jacobs, and Charlo. He gets in in, 10, in a 10-rounder against Carlos Adam who's 20 and 1 a brilliant fight on the undercard as well between the undefeated I think his name is the Towering Inferno uh, I think the 6 foot 6 Sebastian Fandora 17 and 0 with a draw very oh. exciting young fighter in a 12 rounder against Spain's Sergio Garcia 33 and 0 little bit padded but very good fighter good IQ good judge of distance good footwork He's got a lot of tricks, that guy. Um, And I want to say that also on the undercard, if I'm led to believe this is right, I think we're going to see Luis Arias on the undercard as well. And he's getting in with... It's not going to be on the TV. It's going to be off the TV. But I think he's getting in with... Vaughn Alexander, the brother of Devon Alexander. Um, Yeah, so all the best to Luis Arias. But the main event... Javante Tank Davis, 25-0, defending his WBA lightweight world title um, against Isaac Cruz, 22-1 with a draw. That, of course, over 12 rounds there. Again, not the not the fight that we wanted to see Tank have. Um, I can't remember who he was initially supposed to be fighting. Oh, yeah, obviously it was Rolando Romero, wasn't it? Um, yeah, he's yeah. out He's out of the fight for, for good reason. Isaac Cruz, though... A puncher, I think that's all he's got really, the puncher's chance, but a strong guy, I've seen his last few fights, he's coming off a great win as well against Francisco Vargas, it was an all-Mexican affair where he was able to beat Vargas, and you know, I was quite surprised he was a big uh, big, um, favourite in that fight, I thought it was going to be close, but it wasn't close at all, he won absolutely every round, Um, he's got other good wins, a first round knockout against Diego Magdaleno back in 2020. Um, you know, the guy is in real good form, um, and his loss came early on in his career. It was a unanimous decision over eight back in 2016 against, I mean, a, a guy that he should have beaten, really. The guy didn't have a great record at the time, eight and five. Um, but yeah, he's on a run right now, man. He's on a run, and he's been knocking people out, like I say, um, despite his last two fights going the distance, but he has been knocking people out. He's been you know, quite quite uh, entertaining, quite exciting. Twenty three years of age, only five foot four though. Small for lightweight, man. Absolutely, man. Uh, um, I'm looking forward to this fight. When I heard it was made, when uh, Roly Romero, uh, uh, Romero got you know into some hot water, <laughs> as bad as I wanted to see that because I really wanted to see Tank humble him. Then this fight was made. I was like, wow, Isaac Cruz, tough kid, tough guy. Short, small guy, but he comes to fight. Throws punches, punches with bad intentions. He's going to be right in front of you. He's going to try to. He's going to try to get you out of there. There's no. There's no doubt about it. He's going in there with the same attitude against Tank. 
At least I hope he does. Um, but at the same time, with Tank, you know, you know what kind of fighter he is. He's a he's a no nonsense kind of guy too. But with the skill on top of it, he's got great power, but also great great uh, speed with the skill that, like I said, with the skill to go along with it. So I'm looking that it. Cruz can make it a little rough though. Cruz can make it rough because Cruz. On the front foot coming in, getting in your face the entire time, not trying to allow too much space. He can make it interesting a little bit for for a while until Tank, I feel like, will catch him probably in the mid-rounds. And uh, he'll end up getting him out of, there, out of there then. But the fight is going to be a cracker for as long as it, stay, you know, as long as it lasts. And um, this time, I'm not going to miss it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to be ready to watch that one. Absolutely, as will I. But anyway, that brings the preview part to a close. The final thing for me to do is to come with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 320 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest on this week's podcast, the top heavyweight contender, Michael Hunter. That interview was recorded last night, yesterday, Wednesday night. And Michael is indeed fighting tonight which is Thursday night on Triller and Fight TV. So remember to look out for that. There has been one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Joe Smith Jr. will be defending his WBO light heavyweight world title in New York on January 15th against Britain's very own Callum Johnson. What a fight that's going to be, by the way. Someone, you'd imagine, is getting knocked out there. But that's about everything from myself. Thanks for tuning in once again. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.